Welcome to another episode. Thanks for tuning in. This is the big one. This is, I was thinking the other day and chatting to a, a few coaching clients and saying if, of all the videos I've done, of all the episodes I've done, of all the episodes I'll ever do in the future, however many there end up being, this is one of the key ones. And, and you could probably, look, it's all, it's all really valuable. It's all, it's all gold dust as far as I'm concerned, but there are, there are three key ones. There's the taking responsibility video or episode. There's the episode about the stories we tell ourselves. And then there's this one. And just with those three, if you take on board the lessons that are in them, if you apply things in your life, you can transform everything. And what we've been talking about in recent episodes has all been leading up to this one. And we'll just get stuck straight into it. This is, this for me is, is everything. That's that's why I call, talk about it in the root causes of everything. It's I realised through my life that you may have heard me talk about this before. I have I feel very privileged these days because I look back over my forty years on this planet now, and I've experienced loads of different things. So I've worked in big corporations, big corporate law firms. I've set up and run my own corporate law firm. I've set up and run my own online gambling business, which entailed a whole different range of skills and learning new things. I've done property developments, multiple property developments. I've been married, I've been divorced, I've had chronic illnesses. And in all these different aspects of life, which which many people don't get to experience all of these different things in their life. So I feel very privileged on that side of things. And all the way through, I've I've realized as I've reflected back on things that I've always been trying to solve root causes of problems. It really, really annoys me when the society we live in, we just look at symptoms all the time. It's everywhere, governments, media, in your job, in your relationships, we're constantly focused on symptoms and, and how, to, how to get rid of the symptoms without getting stuck into the root causes. And what I found over time was, and I talk about this constantly, is if you go through your life and you write down all the problems you've got, I was like thinking of them like high level circles on a piece of paper. And if you draw down lines and you keep digging into each one to find the root cause of each problem, what you end up doing is coming down to this big one thing. And that's what I found in my life anyway. And I'm starting to test this and seeing this with people I'm working with. And if you solve that big one thing at the bottom, it filters back up into everything else. So instead of trying to solve each little problem you've got in your life, you solve this big root cause and it filters out into ways you might never even expect. So a big one for me was when I started down this path, I was working on all this stuff and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't drinking as much as I used to. I just didn't feel the need to drink alcohol anymore. And I used to be a really big drinker. I'd be out all the time, multiple times a week, big weekends, out till six, seven o'clock in the morning. And without doing any work specifically on giving up drinking, it just stopped because I was working on this other stuff. So it's really, really powerful. I've seen it over the past three months, even working with people during lockdown. It's working on this has done everything from help people solve business disputes to help people regain confidence, to help people get motivation, to help people lose weight, to help people improve their relationships with their romantic partners, uh, to help people reconnect with family members they haven't spoken to for 10 years. It's, it really is powerful stuff. And as I was, I was thinking about how to frame this and 
this comes back to it again. I mean, things I'll leave off my list now. I wrote a book a couple of years ago and a course I went on about writing books was really interesting. And one of the things I got from that was how to frame things that you're trying to share with people. And one of the best ways to frame things that you're trying to share with people is to come up with an acronym that people can remember easily and carry with them basically. And that's what I've done with this stuff now. I've boiled it down into the acronym FATE. F-A-T-E and I, I'm actually really pleased with myself with it because it it works so well and I'll talk you through the the letters in that and what they all stand for in a second but the fact that it's I've got I've, it fits in with that word is really really fitting and really important because what we tend to do with all of this stuff in our lives is we don't identify it we don't look at the root causes it then drives our life for us without us knowing deep in our subconscious, it drives everything we do, every decision we make, every relationship we are in. And then we start referring to it as fate. We say things like, that's just the way I am. And it's just not true most of the time. There are causes of just the way we are. There are, there are things causing what's happening in your life that you are just attributing to fate, that if you dig yourself, dig into these root causes, you can change lots and lots of things so let's get started fate f-a-t-e um the f stands for fear and insecurity so when i wrote my first book about changing careers i, I put a section in there on fear and said look this is a huge topic in itself i'll probably write another book on it in the, in the future what i've been talking to you about now is probably going to turn into a book at some point but fear and insecurity, I used to think, was the root of everything. And to a certain extent, it is, but I've since discovered there are things below it. But for the, for the purposes of this, fear and insecurity are the big things generally that it doesn't take me much to walk people down the path for them to see how fear and insecurity is impacting on their life and how it's a cause of loads of the things that, that are going wrong. So an easy example you want to change your job, fit in with the career change book. One of, one of the main things that holds people back if they want to change their job is fear. And that can be fear that manifests in many different ways. It can be fear of not having financial security. It can be fear of what your family thinks of you if you want to change careers. It can be all kinds. It can be fear of not, not getting the job you want. It can be fear of going for interviews. Um, fear of failing is a big one. And so fear and insecurity, there's a, I did a video on this. What, the first one I, I did actually, aside from my origin stories, episode number three, about fear and an alternative way to think about it. So if you've never watched or listened to that episode, I'd go back and listen to it. Um, because fear and insecurity is, is quite an easy one to identify, actually. It's almost a, it sounds like a strange way to describe something like as dark as fear, but it's almost a quick win in your life. You can sit down and say, what is it that's stopping me doing these things? What is it I'm afraid of? Where, where does this all come from? And you can actually quite quickly get into what the big fears are, the types of things I've just listed, in, in no matter what area of your life it is. Something that's less obvious than that, which, like, and I, look, even with fear, if you'd, have, if you'd have met me three, four years ago, I'd have told you I'm fearless. I'd have... I remember I was looking back over this the day, an example I gave in the book was I was the type of person that would describe myself as fearless 
if I had an issue in life, I would hit it head on. So one fear I, I was aware of that I had was I was afraid of heights, which is a common one. And to overcome that fear, when I was in Sydney for the first time, when I was 22, they do a, a guided tour. I don't know whether you've ever been. They do a guided tour where you walk over the top of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and it's all safe and you're hooked on and all the rest of it. But if you're scared of heights, obviously it's a big deal. And that's what I did to overcome my fear of heights. I walked over the top of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So that's the type of person I used to be. And so you can see how easily I would tell myself the story that I'm fearless. There's, there is nothing that I'm afraid of. And it wasn't until I started digging into all this stuff and all the work I've been doing and seeing a therapist and working with coaches and getting into emotions that I realized just how fearful I was of many things. We'll come into that because it ties into the end of this. The one thing that I only learned probably within the last 12 months that I would never have guessed in a million years is the A in faith, which is anxiety and worry. And it's a really fascinating one for me, this, because anxiety and worry, when I looked at the rest of my family, I could see it everywhere. I'd be like, oh God, everyone's so anxious. They worry about everything. And I would genuinely, it, it always reminds me of, I remember a female partner I worked with in, the, in one of the big law firms I was in once. And she told me at one point, she said, Paul, I've got to the point in my career where people come into me, junior lawyers come into me crying, literally in tears about a problem. And I can't even comprehend what the problem is because my worries have gone so far beyond that that the smaller things just mean nothing to me. And what I realized in my life is that's what had happened to me. So I would watch the people around me, friends, family, worrying about these smallest of things. And I'd be like, God, why would you ever worry about that? I don't have any anxiety. And again, going through this process, what I realized was anxiety is actually a stealth problem in society. I look around me now, I, I figured out that I actually had loads of anxiety, but it was, I just called it a different thing. I just called it a different name. I didn't call, I didn't think about it as worry because, you know, my family would be worrying about, you know, they'd had a bill through for five pound and could it be paid on time or they'd get a fine. And I'd be like, well, that's just ridiculous. But it was because even, even financially, I was in a, living in a world where I'd have to find 40,000 pound within two weeks to pay wages or to pay a tax bill or something like that. And that was my worry and that was my anxiety, but I just never, I just never labeled it like that. Labels is a big one we'll, we'll talk about in a future episode. So for me, now that I can see it, I can see it in me and I can see it in everybody else. Another one of these sort of the matrix moments where walls start falling down and you can see these things everywhere is it's, it's, I say stealth because that's exactly what it is. It's like this silent killer in society that's affecting everybody. I look around now and I don't know anybody who doesn't have an anxiety issue. I saw a stat the other day and I don't know how true it is, but it was nice, so I'll repeat it, which is what we all do with information. <laughs> and it said that levels of anxiety in society now, in general society, are the same that they were in mental institutions in the 1900s. And I could see how that would happen, even if it's not true. I can see how the society we live in massively exposes and preys upon our levels of anxiety. And something I thought would be interesting actually is, because you might be sitting there like I was thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not anxious, I don't have anxiety problems. And when I started to reflect on things and I look around me now and I watch this, I, I look for signs because often with lots of the stuff I talk about, 
it's not easy to spot stuff. That's why we don't see it. That's why we don't identify it. We give it a different name. We give it a different label. But I realized that I used to, I used to bounce my leg loads to the extent that I remember being in a cinema once on, on my first ever date when I was, God, I must've been 13 or 14. And there was a few of us in the cinema and someone on the end of the row looked down the row and said to me, can you stop bouncing your leg? You're bouncing the entire row. Cause I was doing this thing. And when I look back now, I think, cause that's stopped now again, that stopped. That was anxiety. That was just anxiety coursing through my veins, having to come out in a physical way. Things like biting nails is a classic example. Obviously my family does this, things where we, this thing where we rub our feet together and it's, it's anxiety. And these things we do, these habits we start, it's, it's like a coping mechanism. It's like a comfort blanket that we carry around with us that we need with us. And it, it's an, sort of an external display of our anxiety. So I would, if you don't think you've got any anxiety issues, I would stop and sit back and just have a, just have a think. Give yourself some time to think, what is it I worry about in life? Because there will be something. And whatever it is you worry about in life, we're just labeling it different things. That is anxiety. And it's one of the things we need to, to get into. Um, I mean, a classic one, again, before we move on, is not being able to get to sleep at night. I could never get to sleep at night. And if you can't sleep at night, it's anxiety playing around in your mind, not letting you rest, not letting your brain turn off. I used to think it was absolutely normal for your brain to be whizzing like a hamster wheel all the time. And it wasn't until I started doing all of this work that I realized that's not normal. Well, it may be normal in the sense, as I've mentioned in other episodes, that it happens to everybody or most people, so we think it's normal, but it's not good is a better way of putting it. It's not meant to happen. Our mind is or can be peaceful. And I have found that now. You, I can find times where my mind is just empty, which is something I never thought I would ever do. And it's through doing a lot of this work. So that's the F and the A of fate. The T, as we, as we dig below these. So what we're doing now is what I do in all of the work I do, which is you start with, we've starting with fear and anxiety. But actually, that's not the root. That's what I discovered through all of this. That's not the root. There's more below that. And what's below that is the T in faith, which is trauma and shame. And this is huge. This goes into the childhood stuff I've talked about in previous episodes. So if you haven't listened or watched those, it's episode 13, 14, and the interview with Ed Tronic and Claudia Gold in episode 17. It's gold dust, this stuff. And Someone else I would highly, highly recommend you check out if you don't know who she is already, is one of my absolute heroes, Brené Brown. She did a TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability, which went viral, multi-million views. Um, and she's now got her own podcast. She's written multiple books. She's done other TED talks. She's even got a Netflix um, documentary special. And whilst the power of vulnerability is incredible and really, really good, she's got a, a TED talk on shame, all about shame. And that ties into the stuff I've talked about, about childhood and the stuff we're talking about with, with Ed, Tronic and Claudia Gold, about childhood development. Um, Brené Brown in a shame TED talk refers to, I think this comes from Carl Jung originally, refers to shame as the swampland of the soul. And I think that's a really good really good way of putting it as as you get stuck into all of this trauma and shame when you take a step back and you look at it and you dig into our childhoods is basically how we raise children in society 
and that sounds like a, could sound like quite a dramatic thing to say and I've, I've, I've been saying for a while now words like trauma and neglect about childhood I don't really like because I don't feel like I had a traumatic or neglected or neglectful childhood I had a really lovely childhood um, but what happens to children they, they experience as traumatic and neglectful and shame is a big part of that so I think fundamentally this is one for another another day another episode fundamentally we need to change how we're approaching raising children and we need to we need to change how we're approaching general generally in society how we develop our next generations and how we develop ourselves and how that all filters through and it's worth saying as well because a few people actually came back to me after the still face experiment if, if you've seen that that was on the end of the uh, probably episode 13 a few people have said to me god it really upset me that video and i'm just glad i had loving parents because it must be awful for people who don't and i've had to say to them which is a really difficult thing to say it's not about whether you had loving parents or not my parents are two of the most loving parents you could ever hope to have in your life i had everything i could want as a child i was you know brought up in a middle class suburban part of liverpool in a, a detached house with a pond it was we went on family holidays. I didn't have any, you know, I had everything I could want. I had food and clothes and computer games and I wasn't spoiled, but it was a lovely childhood. This isn't about, the still faces experiment isn't about kids who've been traumatized by neglectful parents. This, if you watch that experiment, it shows you that the lesson in it is just how quickly you can traumatize a child. It only takes a minute of being, of staring at a child with a blank face. So think about that. That's not, that's not necessarily neglectful, but think about if you're a parent or you had a parent. It, it's often easier to think of this from yourself as a child rather than yourself as a parent, I would guess. I've, I've not been a parent yet, but I can imagine it's very hard to think of this in the terms of, oh God, I could have, I've probably done this to my kid. Is think of your parents. Think of every time they just didn't connect with you. Think of every time they gave you a look that made you think, oh God. Think of every time they were interacting with you but distracted by something else that's what the still face experiment is all it takes is for you to be on your phone whilst your child's trying to engage with you and what your child experiences is the still face experiment because you're not there you're miles away the the key in all of this is this is not a blame game this is not your parents are therefore bad or you are bad as a parent this is life this is childhood this is it's a minefield. I've heard Brenny Brown describe it as that raising kids. An absolute minefield because you can't not damage children as they're grown up. Children experience trauma in things that adults wouldn't necessarily experience trauma in. So this is never ever a blame game. This is all about looking at the facts of what happens, looking at the experiences and accepting where we are at fault and finding ways of getting better at this stuff shame i mean where do you start with shame i would highly recommend looking at the brenny brown stuff i may even do a future episode just on this topic shame is the is the idea basically and when i start talking about this with people i always it's a really difficult topic to talk about this happened to me as a kid it's happened to you i would guess it's happened to my parents which is why they passed it on to me it happened to their parents before them and again, it's just the way we raise kids. It's just the way we talk to each other and the way we, we say things. But my big, biggest example of, sh of, 
a shame experience in my life is coming home from school and not having achieved oh sorry I'd, I'd got 95% in a test and I told my mum and she was really happy about it and then I told my dad and his reaction was to say what happened to the 5% and that's what I vividly remember now and knowing my dad the way I know him and and I can imagine just after that, he'll have laughed and smiled and given me a hug and told me he was proud of me. But as a child, that's the bit that stuck in my head. What happened to the other 5%? And the lesson, this is all about when we talk about childhood, it's important to get behind the words that are actually used by adults and what we're saying to kids and think about what does the kid hear. So if a kid says, I got 95% in a test and you say, what happened to the other 5%? What the kid hears is, you're not good enough. Not that wasn't good enough. Not you need to do better in exams. You're not good enough. And that's what shame is. Shame is about identifying that this is about who I am. So I had, a, I had an interesting exchange with someone on Twitter months ago before I backed away from Twitter. Um, and it was someone who retweeted a video of a, of a famous international footballer talk, saying about talking to his son about being a, being a winner or a loser. So he was saying to him, do you want to do you want to do this or do that? Your choice is do you want to be a winner or be a loser? And I was disgusted in it because of all this work. Because my problem with that is what that is that is all about shame and it's traumatic for children. Because what you're teaching the kid is if you are successful or not in this one thing, this one pursuit, whatever it is, it defines who you are as a person. Not what you did, not whether you won or lost a game. I'm all about, you know, I love competition. I love games. I'm a big football fan, a big sports fan. I think we should definitely have it. I think it's something that people go wrong in this conversation, which we'll get into. We need winning and losing in games. But winning or losing a game is not the same as being a winner or a loser inside you. And what we teach kids far too often is, if this goes wrong, you are a loser. You are not good enough. And that's the problem. Does that make sense, that distinction? So it's happened to us all. It happened to my parents, it happened to their parents before them. It's another one of those things that gets passed down through the generations, but it's really toxic. And it leads us into, well, I should say before we move on, shame is highly correlated. So high levels of shame are highly correlated with depression, with violence, with bullying, with aggression, with suicide, with eating disorders. It is an epidemic that runs through our society. And that leads us into the E of faith, which is ego and low self-esteem. And this, for me, is the root of all of this stuff. This is where all of this stuff goes down to and leads to, which is, and you can, different people use these words in different ways. So again, you've got to be careful with the language, self-esteem, self-worth, self-love. But what, it, what, it, what I mean by it is what we feel about ourselves deep inside as people. And what I have found is, I found in my own life, I see it in every single person around me who has never done any work on this stuff. And throughout society, we do not think we are good enough. Fundamentally, as individual humans in this world, if I could sit with you one-on-one -on -one and talk about all the problems in your life, I can almost guarantee that I would ask you 20 questions and you would get to the point where the answer is, I am not enough, 
I am not good enough. I do not feel good enough. And that went all the way back to my childhood because this happened to me and this happened to me and these were the lessons I learned. And then I went into society and that got reaffirmed in my mind. And now that's the story I tell myself, but it's so deep inside and the story is so deep in my subconscious that I'm not aware of it consciously. And the work I do with people and the point of all of this is to bring this stuff from our subconscious to our conscious so we can deal with it. And it's not easy and it's sometimes not nice. And many people don't wanna do it, don't wanna do this work for that reason. This is very much, I've alluded to this or talked about this in, in other episodes. This is shadow work. This is talking about the darkness that's deep inside you. And the bit, talking about earlier on when I, when I mentioned the, the bits about where society goes wrong, society has looked at this point in the past when when i came to this conclusion myself started looking into it and as with everything else nothing is our idea it's an idea that someone else has already come up with the whole idea of giving kids like presents and trophies for finishing eighth came because of around because of a similar idea that you know low self-esteem we need to boost self-esteem but the problem is it's that that solution is completely flawed in itself because we don't regain or grow our self-esteem by being given things. We grow our self-esteem by facing our own darkness, by facing challenges, by overcoming fears. Again, somewhere else I saw on a, a clip of someone on daytime TV months ago, talking about wanting to, to ban clapping in theatres because some people who have anxiety problems don't like clapping. And as with many, many things in life, it was a, it was a young lady talking about it, trying to start this campaign. She was really well-intentioned but her, her plan was completely flawed and com completely wrong. And I very rarely say that about things being right or wrong. But the way to deal with anxiety, same as dealing with low self-esteem, is not to hide away from the things that cause us problems. It's to hit them head on. It's to face them. If, you, if you're anxious, let's use clapping as an example, and you just always stay away from people who clap, all that does is reaffirm in your subconscious that it's something to worry about. Your anxiety is right, it's justified, and you'll stay away from that thing and it affects your life. But that doesn't cure it. What happens is something else comes up then. And when that something else comes up, you avoid that, and you avoid that, and you avoid the next thing, and you end up locked in your house because you can't leave, because you're so anxious and you're so worried about the whole world. It's the opposite. That's the, where I've got to with all of this is, <laughs> like a real, dislike in some ways for the old personal and personal development and self-help world that i used to love and used to consume so much from because loads of that world is all about tell yourself how great you are tell yourself how good you are boost yourself boost and look that's all well and good and it's great and i still look at that stuff sometimes but the problem is when we have low self-esteem and low self-worth doing all that stuff is just i always talk about think about a house that's crumbling the foundations are completely fucked. It's the equivalent of someone saying to you, to fix your house, just paint the windows and make them look pretty. And you're there going, not so sure though, you know. Like it feels when I'm up on the ladder painting the upstairs windows, the house is shaking. Yeah, don't worry about that. Just keep telling yourself the house is beautiful and paint the windows. That's what the traditional self-help and personal development world does. And what this stuff does, which more and more people are talking about now, is get into the basement and fix the foundations because if you don't fix the foundations, it doesn't matter how many times you paint the windows, they're not gonna be, it's not gonna sort out your problems. And this ties into the other side of 
this letter in, in the acronym FATE, which is ego. Because for me, in my own experience, in the people I see across society now, our ego, go back to the multiple personality video episode, our ego, we create, we grow, in my opinion, in direct proportion to how low our self-worth is. Because what happens is the real us goes, I'm not good enough. And our ego goes, okay, I'll sort it out for you then. Give me the microphone. Whatever happens, give me the mic, I'll sort it. And that's what happened in my life. I created this, this character, these multiple characters who could do the things for me that I needed them to do because I was just too afraid. I didn't think I was good enough. My self-worth was so low. And, and look, this is, how, this is how stealth all of this stuff is and how difficult it can be to spot and to get into. If you'd have asked anyone in my life five years ago, did I have low self-esteem? The vast majority of people would have said no. My mum still struggles to accept it because my outward character was so confident and so self-assured that it just didn't make any sense. But my outward character was my ego. It was, a, it was someone I'd created to carry me through life. So now, again, red flags, warning signs, things you can look for. Whenever I see someone with a big ego, all I think is low self-esteem. Because when you've got healthy self-esteem, when you've repaired your self-esteem, when you feel like you're good enough, your ego is not needed as much anymore. And don't get me wrong, I've, look, I've used this analogy in, in, in previous episode. The problem with ego is when it's driving the car. You do not want your, your ego driving your life for you. That's why it's a car crash. That's why it's a wreck. But you do need your ego. It's, I, I've been through spells where I've just tried to sort of shun it out my life and repress it and realized over time, well, that's just as bad as repressing any other part of me or repressing any part of my emotions. I need my ego. We all need our ego at times. But the key is you drive the car, you repair your self-worth, you're in control. The ego sits in the back with his seatbelt on or with her seatbelt on and stays quiet until you say you need them. That's the key. The key is repair self-esteem, repair self-worth, get to a point where we are not reliant on the external world to tell us how valuable we are as humans. And that's where something that often comes up and, I, and I, I'm fascinated by and at some point in the future we'll, we'll study this, I'm sure. Humans have always been like this. I often see Gary Vee on, online talking about people saying, you know, social media has caused this. And he says it hasn't. Social media just exposes it. And that's what I believe as well, is that humans have always had this problem. If you go back through your family, once you start digging into this, looking at your own character, your own shadow, speak to your parents, speak to your grandparents if they're still alive. The stories I look back on now in my family are all stories of this stuff. Trauma, shame, anxiety, worry, fear, insecurity, low self-worth. But back in the olden days, not even that long ago, you know, my, my grandparents' generation, there just weren't that many things that exposed it. So everyone got on with their lives normally. And what happened over time was more and more clever dicks understood things like the psychology of marketing, the psychology of fear, and they realized that you could play on this stuff to make money. So this sounds like an anti-capitalist rant and it's not, um, but it is an, it's almost you know, an immoral part of capitalism, which is a problem. 
And again, it comes down to low self-esteem because people who have high self-esteem don't look to exploit others. They're fair to people because they don't need to make as much money as they can to make themselves feel better. The, the problem with the capitalist world we live in, I think, is that there are so many people with low self-esteem that the game they play to try and make themselves feel better from the, from the external world is making money. So it's make money at all costs. And that's why we end up with a society in which we have food manufacturing co companies that just fill their food with shite and try to get you to eat as much as you possibly can because it makes them more money. We have, so I mean, social media companies are a big one because all social media platforms, and I have studied this, remember, this is the, one of the interesting things from my background. I had an online gambling company. So I have studied the science behind addiction. I have studied how you create loops within platforms to make people addicted to what you are putting out to them. I stopped trying to rebuild a company that had crashed and long story behind it. Because I sat there one day after I'd started doing this work going, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with building a company that has to rely on me making sure that the people who use this product become addicted to it. But that's what Facebook is. That's what Twitter is. That's what Instagram is. They all have addictive loops built into them. It's what computer games are. It's what fruit machines in pubs for people in Britain, I don't know whether you have them in the rest of the world, used to be, you know, back, back in the day. People just started to learn that this is, this is something they could use to exploit the weaknesses of humans, the shadow inside humans. And it's one of the things that upsets me when I look at the wider world because you see people of all walks of life doing things like committing suicide and people will say, it's because people were mean to them on social media. And whilst, yes, we should be nicer to each other if we possibly can, that's not the cause. The root cause is we don't feel good about ourselves because do you know when you feel good enough about yourself, if Twitter is upsetting you, you just delete it from your phone, like I did a few weeks ago, because I don't need any more the external likes and retweets to make me feel like I'm worth something because I feel like I'm good enough anyway. And that's not something I used to be able to say. My entire life, was built around getting external adulation and adoration. I've had to do loads of work on it because that's the way I was raised. That's the way most of us are raised. You need to be special. You need to get this stuff from, from outside you to make you feel better. And what that's what addictions are. We'll go into that in the future. That's what, again, root causes of everything. You, you bring me a problem, I'll walk you down this path and we'll get to the point usually where it's like, it's because you don't feel good enough about yourself because as soon as you feel good enough about yourself, everything else melts away. It just doesn't matter as much anymore. The need to drive a flash car, the need to live in a big house, the need to have designer clothes, the need for your kids to have designer clothes, the need for everything around you to look good to the outside world falls away because it doesn't matter what the outside world thinks anymore because inside you, you feel good enough. And the kicker of all of this is we, we live in a society, maybe you, I definitely was like this, where we're trying to do all these things externally to fill a hole inside us. That's what it is. That's what the heavy drinking is. That's what the drug addictions are. That's what the gambling addictions are. That's what the addiction to stress and trying to do better in work and trying to get promotions. We're trying to fill a hole inside us to make us feel like we're good enough. And it can never work. It does never work. That's why billionaires exist for the most part, because they make a million 
and it wasn't enough and they think I'll make 10 million and then I'll be happy and they get there and it's still not enough so they make a hundred million and then a billion and this hole is still there and then you take you do the work internally forget the outside world focus internally focus on yourself repair your self-esteem all of a sudden the hole is gone you don't need the external stuff it's fascinating i love it all i hope that all makes sense we will go on in future episodes i will talk about ways that you can go about repairing your own self-esteem repairing your own self-worth if this resonated with you then look my my role out out in the world these days is to use my pain and lessons from the past to help as many people as i can i give away free hour strategy sessions if you would like a free one hour strategy session if any of this has resonated with you and you would like to get on a call with me a zoom call and go through stuff completely free no strings attached we can get through quite a lot in an hour surprisingly um drop me an email via the website go to the contact page on paul7cope.com and get in touch with me i'd be more than happy to help but as i say i will continue to keep putting out this content as and when i can and the next few probably will be about how you can start if this if this resonates with you and you can feel it in your own life and you can feel that hole how you can start to fill it and how you can start to take steps to repair that self-esteem and feel better i hope it's helped i hope you've enjoyed it uh, share it with someone else if, if you've got someone else in your life you think would benefit from this please share it with them take care see you soon